small business owners. Welcome to this episode of the Freedom Focus Podcast. In today's show, Dirk Hopp will be joining me again as a guest host so that we can finish our discussion of Thomas Jefferson's 10 Rules for the Good Life. Welcome back to the show, Dirk. Thanks for having me back, Darren. This is a good time and I'm looking forward to it for sure. This week, we're going to be covering Rules 6 through 10 from Jefferson's Decalogue of Canons, as he called them plus two bonus rules that even those familiar with Jefferson's 10 rules have almost certainly never heard before. As we did in the last episode, we want to not just provide an interpretation of each rule in general, but whenever possible, we're going to be talking about how the rules apply to businesses, as well as the benefits to small business owners and employees when you follow these rules. All right, Darren, I'm excited to be back. Uh, we got a lot to cover today. So um, last time we talked about the uh, Thomas Jefferson's uh, 10 rules of life, we covered the first five. Um, and so if you haven't listened to that first uh, podcast of the first five, you can and should go back and listen to that as well as read the article, um, because we really unpack um, how these rules can be applied to life. Um, but also how it can be applied to an existing, exiting, perhaps business owner, which Darren uh, has immense content on, uh, related to how to, what to say to perhaps your right-hand man, or maybe you're selling the business and you're giving them advice on how to carry on. Um, they were all applied to them as well. So super practical and helpful information. So with that... Number six, never repent of having eaten too little. I found four uh, of the 50 Ryan Holiday Stoic rules that applied to this, but the one I really uh, zoned in on was number three, is this essential? Uh, but just unpack rule number six for us a little bit. I like to think of this in terms of conservation, uh, being conservative and how you approach things again, or, or going back to what we talked about in the last episode, not getting out over your skis or too much in front of yourself. So there is a lot of ways to look at this particular um, rule. Uh, but I think the idea that I like to talk about is more than anything is just being thoughtful, um, being maybe cautious and conservative, uh, not to say that going for it's not a good idea. But I think uh, just making sure that you um, uh, you don't get beat yourself up if actually you're taking a slow approach. I think there's something to that for, for your individual life, but also professionally as business owners. Uh, it, I think it gives a little bit of cover, if you will, for those that want to be cautious about how they approach things. And Dirk, I'd love to get any take, uh, even including bringing in some of the other stoic language that you thought would also be appropriate to this particular rule. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I, the three I had was three, ask yourself, is this essential? And I was going to sort of apply your own example to that. Uh, five is value time more than more than money and possessions. Uh, number 22, define what set success means to you. And number 50, and I'm actually reading this book by Ryan Holiday called Stillness is the Key. And it's a really good read. Um, but applying is this essential number three, I go back to when I worked for you, you taught me a lot of uh, Stephen Covey stuff. And uh, Stephen Covey had his Stephen Covey's time management matrix. If you recall, you line everything up and I'm gonna bring it up over here. Um, you know, you put it in quadrants, important, not important, urgent, not urgent. And then you kind of assign things and then you just decide from there, 
you know, what is it that's essential to do? Because, you know, some things you should do, some things you should delegate, some things nobody should do, right? And I'm going to also refer to Tim Ferriss, uh, a four-hour work week. I love his book and all his stuff where he talks about the deal method, D-E-A-L. And um, deal is you look at every task and you say, should I delegate it? Should I eliminate it? Should I automate it? And I'm going to, I change his L. I put, should you log it? Meaning that not right now, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to put it on my calendar somewhere. And so, you know, the Covey stuff that you taught me, you know, really is essential, I think, for someone who is taking over to say, you know, hey, you're the new point person, you're the new uh, man in charge, but that doesn't mean you do everything. And you've got to be very disciplined about your time. Um, don't try to do everything. Less can be more. Derek, I like I like what you said. Absolutely. Um, great, co- uh, great additional comments to this whole idea of, again, don't be afraid to have eaten too little, doing less. And and of course, Dirk, we've got that phrase, less is more, right? I mean, that's another one we could have brought in here, the idea of less is more. Uh, be focused. Um, and and I, lo- I really appreciate that you brought Tim Ferriss's uh, four-day, four-hour work week. Uh, we're going to be covering that, uh, again, probably not for a little bit, but we're going to be definitely covering that in a future episode and in an article. We'll kind of summarize that for everybody. Um, but the idea is that uh, what are the two most, Tim Ferriss talks about what are the two most important things I have to get done today? And and, and it's usually just one or two things, uh, no more than that. And he said, in order to make this day uh, what, what I would deem successful, what are those two things? Well, that's less. That's not more. So don't be ever uh, hesitant to focus on less. So Dirk, I think that that covers that one pretty darn well. And I appreciate your additional thoughts on that. That's great. Yeah, to your point, number 22, the Stoic, define what success means to you. I think you just hit on that. Like sometimes you just go into the day and look, you don't say if I get everything done, that's going to be a successful day. It's just not possible. You say, man, if I can get these couple things done, I'm going to call that a successful day. Anything else is a cherry on top, right? So good stuff. All right, number seven, nothing is troublesome that we do willingly. Um, Give me a little bit of, you know, when I first read that, I thought I can't really uh, unpack that, but you did a good job of unpacking that. I really like the business application you apply here. Uh, Dig into that a little bit deeper, if you would. In my article, Never Work uh, a Day in Your Life, I brought up into that book this idea of working within your unique ability. And this is really the application in life in general, but bringing it back to business and how we operate. And really, when you're operating in your unique ability, you're doing things that you are generally recognized as superior or excellent at doing. It's It's your superpower. And you love doing it. There's a lot of things uh, looking at Dan Sullivan's uh, hierarchy, really, of activities where he talks about things that you're competent, incompetent, or incompetent, competent, you know, you're, you're excellent at, and then things that are unique ability. There's a lot of excellent things that we do that we just don't care for, right? You might be awesome at being a lawyer. I love this example I usually throw out there. You might be awesome at at the law, being a lawyer or a doctor, but what you really want to do is play guitar in a rock band. And and that's what you really love. That's your passion. And, you know, that may or may not be your unique ability. 
um, like an athlete uh, that is paid a lot of money to do their sport. Uh, but there is something that is your unique ability that you've been recognized since you were a little kid at being really good at. You've done it all your life and it gives you energy and you love doing it. So when you're operating a unique ability truly to this point of nothing is troublesome that we do willingly, those are your unique abilities. And you don't feel troubled when you're asked to do something that you love to do. And again, the quickest way for you to do, to hone in on that is to is to identify what is that unique ability for you. And I, as I say in, in, in the article, what we need to do as business owners is we need to operate as much in our unique ability as we possibly can. And then have uh, the employees that work for us, part of our team, they need to be operating in their unique ability because at the end of the day, if you're doing what you love, and in fact, uh, you make something better when you're doing it, another definition of unique ability, uh, then you don't need to be managed as much. Can you imagine, Dirk, a company that uh, that has everybody working in the unique ability and and basically you've hired people that that really don't need management. They do whatever you've asked them to do better than you because you've identified them working in that that area of their expertise. And so that's what we need to do. We need to have uh, not only you as a business owner, if you want to get to true freedom uh, because you won't feel like you're working, when you're in your unique ability, uh, get to that place and make sure the rest of your team is there. And the closer you get to that, the more free everybody's going to be. And certainly the more you're going to be adhering to this particular rule from Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, that's good. I like that a lot. It's uh, it's a really good segue from the last one. You know, stoic rule, ask yourself, is this essential? Because, you know, hopefully that if you figure out what's essential, it will be it'll feel productive, it'll feel meaningful, it'll feel motivating. And so I, I referenced this um, that you had said to me, and maybe it came across as harsher than it sounded last time, but um, you said to me in a review once, you worked very hard on the things that you like to work on. And so it wasn't a negative, it was a, you know, the things that you are sort of, um, you know, hard, hardwired to enjoy doing, um, you're going to work hard on them because you like doing them, you're doing them willingly. And I'll, and I'll say, referencing I know like your hiring strategies and courses that you offer um it plays right into this man you the way you hire people the way you train people on hiring um is figure out how they're hardwired and then put them in the right seat on the bus yep. and so when they're in the right seat on the bus they're going to do things willingly and they're going to be self-starters if you put them in the wrong spot um, it's going to be an uphill battle for them and you're going to have to pull them along. So, all right, can we go on to number eight then? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Don't let the evils that have never happened cause you pain. Tease that out a little bit for us. And and Dirk, I kicked that one off with because it. every time I read this rule, I always think of uh, Bobby McFerrin's uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy song. I mean, that that I think we all you can't help but even whistle that song to yourself even when you think of the words right because you can hear it but I mean that's it right don't worry be happy there's enough stuff that we have to worry about in our daily lives uh, without having to worry about everything that's out there in the future and 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 that really to me uh, I think is the serious side of don't worry be happy is is just this idea that you know focus on the things that are in front of you. Uh, when you're when you're uh, choosing what to spend your attention on, even your worry on, uh, do that. Now I brought that back around 
um, to this, uh, to two things that I had said, or at least one, th- uh, one thing I had said in uh, the part one, this idea of goal setting. If you are, if you are goal setting and you know that you are going to be taking care of a certain task or, or goal, but that goal doesn't need your attention right now, the benefit of goal setting is that you're pushing that off to some point into the future where you will take time to focus on that. But in the meantime, you're going to focus on other short-term goals instead of the medium or long-term goals. Or maybe what you're doing is you're working on one little aspect of accomplishing that goal in the in today's quarter, the quarter we're in, uh, but you're not worrying about all the six things that have to do to make that goal happen a year from now. And so that reduces your stress. Don't worry about that future thing. That's not something for you to worry about. And then I also bring that down to, uh, I had written an article a while ago about being more organized, more productive, and more reliable. And that focused on this idea that, uh, and the example I gave in that article, is that I had a lot of stuff in my head and people carry a lot of to-dos around in their head, things that you don't want to forget about, things that you want to do. And those are all carried around in your head and uh, it becomes overwhelming, um, even stifling sometimes. It adds stress, uh, worry, all right? But I learned, and that's one of the things I talk about in that particular article, that if you can get everything out of your head and onto a to-do list, now I'm not talking about sticky notes everywhere, and I'm not talking about piles of paper on your desk that quote unquote remind you that you've got to do something. I'm talking about putting things into a a to-do list, preferably electronic, because that format's really easy to categorize and move things around. But for years, I did it as just a, a spiral binder, and I wrote everything down in a spiral binder. And anytime I would have a thought, I would write it down. Oh, I don't want to forget that. Once it was written down and put on paper or today into my the app that I use for my to-do list, I don't worry about it anymore. I'm like, what was that that I was thinking about yesterday? And, and, and I just go to my list. I'm like, oh, that's what it was. But I'm not fretting over that, okay? So my mind uh, is clear. And I in the example I gave was that when I moved everything from sticky notes and papers and spiral binders, my desk got clear. I, I realized I'm definitely not going to, to forget anything because it's even more organized now than when it was spread all over the place. And I just felt this relief when I had done that. And then, of course, the other thing is the calendar, because with the calendar, I don't even know what I'm going to do tomorrow. And I don't worry about thinking about that so much because it's on my calendar. And I, if I want to know what do I have to do tomorrow, I go to my calendar and everything, as soon as I think about it, I get it on there. Uh, and that's different from your to-do list. Don't put, don't make your calendar your to-do list. Make your calendar something that is an activity, of course, in time. That way your calendar is a little bit more focused where you can go to town on your to-do list. And I do. I've got a, a big, big to-do list. And uh, Dirk, that also is one of those things that uh, um, can be overwhelming if your to-do list is really big. But if you follow Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week and you go, but what are those two or three things that I got to get done today? That's what I do. I organize at the beginning of the week on Sundays usually. And I'll bring that down to just the two things I'm going to work about, worry about on Monday. And there's three things on Tuesday and two things on Thursday. Everything else that's not on that I'm not going to do this week with my electronic uh, uh, to-do list, I just push it out a week. 
And I don't even think about it. I won't even worry about it till Sunday when I'm like, okay, am I going to do that this week? Uh, no, that really needs to go out three weeks. But but when I'm doing that, I'm not worrying. I'm happy. I'm being happy when I do it that way. And Dirk, I know you do similar things in, in how you approach uh, organizing your stuff too. Talk a little bit about um, the difference between your to-do list and your calendar. You said they're not the same things. And I absolutely can fall into that where I start putting things on my calendar that are not actually appointments, but it's like, okay, I'm going to worry about this on Thursday, but it's not a real appointment. Talk a little bit about the difference between those two, the to-do list and your calendar. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, that question, Dirk. Um, First of all, I want to say that there are a lot of people that use their calendar as their to-do list. So this is not a, not a, not unique to Dirk, certainly. And in fact, a lot of calendars are built so that you can have notes that are attached to it and you can use it kind of like a com combination. Um, if you're doing something that works for you and you're doing it, that's what's key, right? Whether it's paper, whether it's electronic, your calendar, uh, a to-do list. Just whatever works for you to be organized, do that. That's the most important thing. But Dirk, as far as I'm concerned, things that are on my calendar are actual events. You know, this uh, recording session with you. It's on my calendar. I sent you a calendar invite. It's the only thing on my calendar today. But it's not the only thing I'm going to do today. On my to-do list, I've got a handful of things um, some things are, are, are lower prioritization because I can do that on my to-do list, which is if you have an iPhone, it's called Aaron's. And in my article, I actually highlight that particular uh, app. Um, but Aaron's is awesome because I can say, well, I usually, Dirk, don't have two things on my to-do list for today. I'll have usually six, seven, or eight things. But they're, but the, the, the two things that I want to get done or three, they're prioritized as red or, or, or urgent. And then, uh, then there's medium and then there's low or no grading. So I can grade everything so that I, what's at the top are the things that I really need to do. And in fact, uh, my to-do list will allow me to put an alarm, right? And most people think of the alarm as their calendar, but I can put an alarm on a to-do so that I do it at 8 a.m. two weeks from now. Now, Dirk, if I've got an electronic to-do list, it allows me to do that. So I can say what time I want to do it on that day, and it doesn't go on my calendar. It stays within my more detailed, uh, informative to-do list. But I've pushed it off. I didn't forget about it. I just moved it out three weeks to when I'm actually going to work on it. And I can even put a time on it. So it acts and feels like a calendar event, but it's separate from your calendar. Yeah, the Aaron's app, it's so powerful. I cannot believe it is a free app. So I highly recommend the Aaron's app. I've used it a number, a couple different stints. Um, so I guess I'll just wrap it up this way. I would say if you were talking to as an exiting business owner, um, you're talking to your point person, you know, I would say to me, the best time to figure this out is at night when you're laying in bed. If you're laying in bed thinking about 16 things, then you have 16 things that you need to put on your to-do list out in the future. Uh, and so it's almost like, scheduling worry, if you will, because I've done this. I've laid in bed and I've thought about a bunch of things and said, you know what, as long as I know that I have scheduled to worry about this particular thing out in the future, it takes it out of my brain. Exactly. So. That's exactly right, Dirk. And I love that that's something you do. And 
the reality is I think a lot of, of people that are truly successful, uh, they're doing something like this. They're, they're, they're managing their stress and their overwhelm in some way. And look, my, I don't have the be all to end all magic formula, but for people that are not doing, that are really struggling, uh, there needs to be some system. And I'll tell you, for me, it has worked wonderfully. And I think that it also, and I've had a lot of people call, uh, comment on my article that I'll put a link to in the show notes today. Uh, there's a lot of people that have read that article saying, man, this was extremely helpful and come back and said how powerful that was, how much, how much they've been able to also reduce their stress by having things uh, 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 put in their proper place out into the future so that you don't worry about them today. Awesome. So there's a lot there and, and I highly recommend you go back and listen. There's so much that can be said there, but let's move on to number nine, which this is a good segue too, right? It is uh, always take things by their smooth handle. You can't do everything. You've got to be disciplined about what you do, what you spend time on, how you do it, when you do it, all that things. And so this is a perfect segue for this. So. Um, Talk a little bit about the smooth handle. I had, when I first read this a couple, a month or two ago, I asked you, I go, what does that mean? And your response is really good. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it, at the end of the day, it's really path of least resistance. And, and that, that jumped out to me as soon as I read this. In other words, um, if you've got a, uh, if you've got a, a smooth handle and a rough handle or a sharp handle, you know, you're going to pick the one that's the easiest, right? The one that's nice and smooth because that one feels better in your hand. Uh, it's just easier to do. It's easier to, to manage. And in fact, uh, the picture that I picked uh, for the article is, is a lady holding a, a cup, but that cup I picked in on purpose because that coffee cup is actually very shiny and smooth. Uh, everything in there is nice and easy. And really that's the idea is, 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 is focusing that way. And Dirk, this was, of course, Ryan Holiday's number 26 in his five, uh, 50 Very Short Rules, Grab the Smooth Handle, and another proof that Jefferson was a Stoic because so many of these things he grabs right out of Stoicism. Uh, and so one of the things that we talk about is how do you, how do you approach this from a business perspective? I, I'm going to go back to what I've said already in a previous rule, and, and that is preparation, really. Research, um, thinking ahead so that your, your path of least resistance is defined. If you go into your day or your activity or whatever that you want to do, and you do it kind of blindly, like we'll figure it out as we go, well, you're probably gonna hit your head against the, the door jam and then against, against some other object as you move forward uh, kind of blindly. So step back when you're grabbing uh, the handle by the, 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 the smooth handle, grabbing things by the smooth handle, um, step back, think ahead, plan ahead so that you know where you're going and uh, you've navigated a path. You've maybe done some research about maybe somebody that's traveled that path before you and they're like, oh, okay, that's how you do it. I love doing that. If I, if I can get on the phone with somebody or ask a question that might uh, allow me to navigate something a little bit quicker and a little bit easier because they've already learned the path. They already learned their way through it. They've already made the mistakes in front of you. Then, then take advantage of that. You know, the things that I teach, I teach because I don't want people to uh, have the pain and the suffering that entrepreneurship can often cause people. And if I can share with you some ideas about how to, 
how to become more organized and, and, and more successful by the article that we've been talking about, then I want to share that with you because I've already gone through the efforts of, 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 the, of the, hard, the, the sharp handle or the rough handle. I've already gone through that. So I want to pass you the smooth handle. And this would be my right-hand person, Dirk, right? As I'm walking out the door exiting, I would say, you know, this is the advice to them. How can I smooth the way for you? And I would say to them, pick my brain as much as you can so that your path will be a smooth one uh, and one that is of least resistance. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, and I'll go back to advice that you had given me uh, years ago around this topic was about being in the weeds. Um, you had said that I can spend some time in the weeds. Now, I, I bring up a lot of uh, uh, things that you've said to me that has been uh, critical. Um, you've, I, I must say you've said a tremendous amount of very nice things to me, and all the critical things have been extremely helpful. So I just want to qualify that as I say a few things you've said to me in reviews, but super helpful. And I think you know, leaders or point people, this person that you might be talking to who's who you're passing the baton to is in a precarious position in that they're the leaders. So they need to think big picture, but sometimes you still have to live in the weeds a little bit. And so trying to find that balance is extremely difficult. So um, I would just, you know, I your uh, your next rule, which we'll get into in a second, inspired me to bring up this uh, Abe Lincoln saying where he says, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend four of them sharpening the ax. Uh, and I think that's so perfect. Good. It's perfect. hard. It's really hard. I've, I've spent a long time really battling with this. I'm sort of a jump off the cliff and build the parachute on the way down kind of guy, but you know, there needs to be balance and not everybody's built the same, right? I'm you know, some people are more shoot from the hip and they're better at it. And some people need to set, take a step back and assess the situation. I'm a, da I'm a data gatherer and I can go too far in gathering data. As, and, and that comes up in the next uh, rule as well, um, waiting too long. Um, so there is a balance. But, you know, I found that sometimes you just, you know, a, a, an old mentor of mine used to say, you need to sit down and look out the window every so often. And I think, uh, and I recently, just a week or two ago, had a scenario where I just had some space and the space allowed me to think big picture and go, oh yeah, I need to be thinking more on this and I need to be working more on that. So I, I think you've got to give yourself space to assess the whole situation, certainly as the, uh, the outgoing leader is uh, leaving and, and you're taking, taking the helm. So. Well, and Dirk, I don't want to, you just teed up something I can't let go by. And that is that uh, you might recall that I did write it. I wrote an article about just thinking time and it had the thinker was the main picture for that article. Go back and read that because that was something that I talked very specifically about is having time to think, setting aside a time during every day, a little bit each day, maybe periods of time where you're on vacation, where you can think. If you don't give yourself time for thinking, then yeah, Dirk, you're going to be shooting from the hip always. And you're going to be wondering why your forehead's bloody uh, all, all more times than, than you want it to be or more times than other people are. And so give yourself that time to think. I love that, Dirk. Yeah, look out the window. And it's not something you can schedule for a half hour. You've got to... <laughs> You've got to you've got to give yourself some space and let things slow down a little bit. So let's move on to the last one, number ten, before we get into the two bonus ones. Uh, when angry, count to ten before you speak. If very angry, count to hundred. And so, as you mentioned, this is uh, super applies to stoic rule number nineteen. 
uh, put every impression emotion to the test before acting on it. So I love this and, and, uh, and the, you know, cooler heads prevail, right? Yeah, definitely. And, and Dirk, I, uh, I, I give two examples, one personal in the article and, and one uh, historical. I actually read this little anecdote about uh, Abraham Lincoln and and how he handled General Meade in, in, in the Battle at Gettysburg. I actually read this in a couple of different locations. Um, it was talked about in Dale Carnegie's Winning Friends and Influencing People. It was talked about in there when I, that's where I first heard it. But then I was reading uh, another book recently, uh, Leadership in Turbulent Times by Doris Kearns Goodwin. In her book, she specifically talked about this exact thing and elaborated on it a little bit more. But in 1863 in July, when Gettysburg uh, battle was going on, after three days of battle, uh, the, the Confederates were finally defeated, if you will, and Lee was retreating and he couldn't get past the Potomac River because the rains had swollen the river and he couldn't get his army across the river to escape. And Lincoln was like, this is a golden opportunity. And he said to his general, General Meade, go get him, go surround him, finish this thing off. We're, we have victory within reach here. And Meade wouldn't move. He gave him every excuse in the book of why he wouldn't move him. And finally, he waited so long uh, that the river subsided and then Lee was able to escape with his army. And then it, the war went on for another two years, which just when you put that into perspective, and of course, Lincoln didn't know that at the time, that it would go on for another two years, but the magnitude so upset him that he sat down and he wrote a letter and poured all of his upsetness and frustration, uh, poured it out in this letter that he wrote to Meade, and then he never sent it. And I found out actually in Doris Kearns Goodwin's book that, that, that there were a lot of instances they found Later on, actually in the 1900s, they were going through some of Lincoln's papers and they found these papers. This letter, I think, was actually amongst them. That's how they know the history on it. And they all said, uh, you know, uh, never sent, never signed. So what Lincoln did is he he got stuff out of his head uh, and, and, and cooler heads prevail, as you said, Dirk. He got stuff out of his head so it didn't become a problem. And I know that I had read the anecdote from Dale Carnegie. I'd read his anecdote uh, certainly way before my own personal experience where I had taken advantage of, of this rule in particular, um, but I don't know that I was thinking about it. It was a bit, I have to admit, happenstance, but I certainly would have liked to have been more deliberate, but I was really upset by uh, one of my employees had, had said something uh, that really bothered me and upset me. I was out in the field and I I was going to, uh, I was uh, on one end of, of town and I was driving to the other end of town to do some more work, but right going right by the office. And I'll never forget that I wanted to stop and give this employee a piece of my mind because I was so frustrated and I thought I was really upset. I might have even fired that person uh, because I was that upset about what they had said. And of course, I didn't go into all the details of what went in there, but I, but, but I remember it distinctly. Uh, thinking about it. And then when it came to the place where I would have turned off the freeway exit to go to the office, because it was right there off the freeway, I just drove right on by thinking to myself, you know what, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't want to do this right now. And uh, ultimately I never stopped and I never said anything to that employee afterward uh, because I let my cooler head prevail, Dirk. And, and that applies is that this idea that 
if you give yourself some time, you know, count to 10, uh, if you're really upset, count to a 100, give yourself some time, then you may still go back and say something. And I may have thought it was worth it to say something to my employee, but it would have been more gentle, more kind, more thoughtful, and less based on emotion uh, as that, that uh, stoic rule that you said, put every impression or emotion to the test before acting on it. So that's really my take on this one, Dirk. And, and this is a pretty powerful lesson uh, that perhaps I would even say maybe one of the most powerful ones that is shared uh, in these 10 rules from Thomas Jefferson. I want to ask you about Lincoln. I thought, it maybe it's a myth, I thought that Lincoln started doing this after he had published in an editorial or in a paper some kind of scathing thing which led to a sword duel, if I'm not mistaken, which almost cost Abe Lincoln his life. And, and that was the reason that he always started being more patient with people. Is that true or is that a myth? No, no, that actually is a true story. Um, I don't know if it was, uh, you know, uh, pistols at 20 paces or swords, Dirk. And I don't remember uh, how close Lincoln got to actually uh, maybe death on that situation. Uh, but I do know that that is an excellent uh, example of really this point. And, you know, Lincoln is held up as an amazing person uh, in his day uh, and, and certainly now so considered one of uh, the best presidents, but not because not keep in mind that he was considered uh, and is almost always ranked the best president uh, of all of the presidents we've had because who he was as a person, because he learned from this lesson that is true, Dirk, that you brought up. So by the time he got to the Civil War, this stuff was something that he had learned to live with, this, this idea of writing letters and putting it away. In fact, uh, Doris Kearns Goodwin in her book, you know, uh, again, Leadership in Turbulent Times, when she tells the anecdote about the, uh, she doesn't actually tell the anecdote about uh, Meade and the Gettysburg. She just says that there was an upsetting time for um, one of his cabinet secretaries and he was really upset. And, and he was so disturbed that uh, Lincoln said, well, why don't you go uh, write a letter to this person and then bring it back and let's discuss it. So this cabinet secretary went away he spent two days, it turns out, writing this letter to make sure he got everything into it that he wanted to. Then he brought it back to Lincoln. Lincoln read it and said, okay, excellent. Now throw that in the trash. He's like, what are you talking about? I spent, I spent two days working on this. And now don't you feel better, he said to him. And so Lincoln's, Lincoln, and, and he never actually sent that, uh, that letter. Uh, his cabinet secretary never did. He did what Lincoln said. But the point, again, is that uh, a lot of life experience that Lincoln had gone through, he was so good at bringing that stuff, uh, and he told lots of anecdotes, bringing that stuff into uh, how he handled things so well. And so, yeah, true story, Dirk, probably more than more follow-up than you wanted me to bring. But uh, that story, I think, speaks to exactly this lesson as well. And I think you're right. It was a pistols at 20 paces. Now that you say it, it rings a bell for sure. So now we're on to the bonus rules. I guess uh, we'll unpack these, but not with quite as much time, I think. But who knows? These things always have a lot more flesh on them than we first think, right, when we get into these. So, uh, and this is uh, take care of your sense. Dollars will take care of themselves. Unpack that a little bit for us. So first, Dirk, I want to remind everybody that 
that the reason we have these bonuses is because Thomas Jefferson had been sharing these thoughts for many years with younger people primarily. And so he had shared in, uh, it was uh, in, in the uh, 1825, I think it was, that he shared with Thomas Jefferson Smith, the famous Decalogue that we all refer to now of 10. But many years earlier, he had written um, in a letter we don't have a date on, so we don't know when it was done, but it was written earlier, maybe uh, eight or 10 years earlier, to his granddaughter, Cornelian, Cornelia Jefferson Randolph. Uh, he had shared with her, uh, 12 rules. And so I just wanted to make sure, Dirk, that we didn't lose the fact that there were a couple of more that uh, that were worthy of being on the list for Thomas Jefferson initially. So that's why I wanted to make sure we didn't cover them as quote unquote bonus ones. Uh, but again, take care of your sense. Dollars will take care of themselves. Uh, it, it was number five on his list of 12 for Cornelia. And it's really about, um, this one's, uh, you know, uh, if you focus on uh, the details, um, dotting your I's, crossing your T's, a, a lot of the things will get taken care of on the bigger picture. This almost goes back to the conversation we had before about the other rule talking about preparation, Dirk, and path of least resistance. The idea that if you plan ahead, think ahead, uh, then you're going to run into fewer obstacles. So this is very similar to that. Um, it's another argument you might say about planning ahead, just making sure that the details are in place. The last thing you wanna do is go in front of, as an example, go, in, go into a meeting with a client or a presentation or a demonstration to a client, forgetting to have brought the, you know, the, the paper that you needed for an instruction, you know, or forgetting to do something that you need to do. Uh, and then you show up and you look silly you don't look, you know, you lose confidence or they lose confidence in you because you forgot a detail. And, and I actually want to bring this back to what I talk about in Freedom Focus. And I, there's an episode coming up and an article coming up specifically on this, not too far in the future, because one of the things we talk about is processes. If you have a process for doing things, then you're less likely to forget the details. It's amazing that if you make sure that when you're doing something and you repeat it, and you've got a, 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 a list that you follow of, of, of checkboxes for a task that's repetitive and certainly the most important to the success of your business, then those details are not going to be missed. If you miss one, that's fine, right? Shame on, shame on uh, you. But if I miss it a second time because I didn't get that missed item on my to-do list, my checklist, so it doesn't get nixed a second time, shame on me. So your clients will appreciate greater having processes so they get a consistent result and they, they make sure that nothing's missed because clients don't want to hear that you missed something. They don't want to hear that there was a detail. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed that detail. They just want what they want. They want the product. They want the service. And they want it uh, the way that it was promised because you don't promise something with flaws. Uh, you don't do that. You promise things to be the way that you, that you expect them to be. And so that means that those details need to be done. Count your cents. And those dollars, maybe in that literal sense, they'll come. The bigger dollars will come if you take care of those little details. Yeah, I love that. And your freedom focus, you always take big goals and break it into daily tasks. So, you know, those are the cents, the dollars are those. And so I love uh, the book Atomic Habits by James Clear talks about, he almost kind of talks about goals. He's not so hot on goals. He's more about habits. 
And so, and he talks about Bill Walsh uh, has a leadership book called The Score Takes Care of Itself. And it applies perfectly because it's essentially do the right things on the field and the score will take care of itself. So instead of worrying about what the score is, just do what's in front of you. And it's the same thing. And I've gotten a lot more focused on this myself recently where I've said, I'm not going to obsess over the goals. I'm just going to make sure what I do today is effective and efficient and the score and the goals will take care of themselves. So, yeah. and, and um, Dirk, in fact, I, I just, I, I love the analogy, especially to sports. Um, and it goes to processes. If, if you've got something that works, a process that works and you, you got to trust the process, you got to trust it. Right. Um, and this is that, that stoic rule, right? Focus on the process and the, and the, and, uh, and not the, not the result. That's perfectly to the point that you just raised, Dirk, this idea of, of process. You know, that if you follow steps A, B, C, and D in that order, that your chances of getting a certain outcome, uh, become more and more certain as you continue to refine, to get to that final end goal. So Dirk, I love that you brought that in. That's an excellent addition. All right, so the last bonus one, number 11 on Cornelius's, uh, the list of Cornelius, think as you please, and so let others, and you will have no disputes. You kind of got to read it a few times to kind of get it right, but- You do, right, Dirk, um, that, that one's tricky. I'm going to, I'm going to use this to wrap up a little bit. You know, I really, when I read this and read your description, um, it really made me think about these rules, right? Like, you know, these rules are so beneficial. I've actually started to write my own rules for myself, Dirk's rules. And they're just for me and because everybody's different. Um, but we all read these differently. And so I think this is a perfect example of, you know, these Jefferson rules are super applicable to anyone in a lot of situations, how you live your life, how you run your business, being freedom focused, you name it. And this is, this rule is, is perfect for that. It is, Everyone's going to take something a little bit different away from these 10 rules the, uh, from the last podcast, the first five and these five. Everyone's going to read. It's going to mean something different to everyone. And I think that's super beneficial, super healthy. It's why we study the greats. Um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Great wrap up, Dirk. The idea that, you know, and you do, I, I like what you said. You have to read this a few times to make sure you get the words properly oriented in your head. This is straight from, from uh, Jefferson's text. Uh, this whole idea, again, of uh, um, making sure or letting people have their own thoughts. And, and these 10 rules or 12, if you count the bonus, they have interpretations that are, that are, are, mean different things to different people. So what you said, Dirk, about these and what I've said about them, I hope that has been a food for thought for people. But in business, I've always uh, made made a point to have uh, let people have their own thoughts. I don't try and and say, you need to think this way. What I, what I do do is say, uh, and if I do say, I would like you to think this way, um, I have to back that up. I can't just say, because. That is a horrible answer to somebody. Why? Because that's what parents say to their kids when they don't actually have a good reason to tell them to do something. They just want them to do it. They don't have to defend it. I don't look at it that way. Employees are smart people. Uh, they're people. Uh, and you've hired the best. They deserve the why. And I've always been somebody that, that uh, believes in uh, asking for the why. When I was in, uh, when I was in, in sports in high school, I'll never forget my high school basketball coach 
uh, and Devin and I were my brother and I, we were, we were on the uh, varsity basketball team and I'll never forget the uh, coach saying one time, he, he just out of frustration one day, he stopped practice and he said, or maybe it was a debrief uh, after practice. And he said, you know, I asked so-and-so who was one of the better players on the team. I say, go jump through that wall. And he goes and he jumps through that wall. I asked Darren and Devin a question. They're like, why do you want me to jump through that wall? So it's questioning. And that's the way I've always been. So I respect that. Um, I'm not going to do just what you say because, because you tell me to. And I respect that of the people that I work with. Uh, and so let people have their opinions, let them form them. And I also talk about in, in uh, the article, this idea that it's actually makes for better outcomes. If you have a diversity of, of opinion, letting people uh, have what they want and, and, and say what they want. And that oftentimes will actually be somewhat of the opposite of this rule because it will lead to disputes when you bring varied opinions to the table but the quality of the outcome, when you have somebody that challenges you uh, in a way that's making things better, and you're like, oh, yeah, we forgot about that. That's the positive of this. So let people have their opinions, but then also benefit from that to the extent that you possibly can, as, as much as you possibly can, uh, by making that a part of your decision process. They're going to be happier, too because they get to think as they want to. And by the way, when, when we're talking about hiring people based on core values, as long as they click with those core values, differences opinion kind of melt away. Uh, they melt away because they're on board with the same core values aligned with your core values. And so if you've got somebody with, that doesn't align with your core values, they're gonna probably say a lot of stuff that's contrary to what you say, but also not in alignment with your core values, that's not good. So. Make sure you differentiate there. Start out with core values. They have to align. But if they align, then their different points of view, their different perspective will actually be helpful. It'll be additive instead of uh, taking away from the quality of your discussion. And so good. So good. So just to recap, uh, a lot of good books and a lot of past uh, articles and podcasts have come up in our discussion that I highly recommend you go back and reference for yourself. Are you going to, are those posted somewhere where people can find your past uh, podcasts that you referenced? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, Dirk, I'll put those in the show notes for today. Uh, anything that's mentioned, including some of the stuff Dirk did, um, I'll put that in the show notes today. But you can always go to my blog uh, on darrenwashcheck.com. You can always go to my blog and uh, find all the past articles and podcasts. They're all on the blog. You can also go to my podcast link and just go to just the podcast if you want to skip the articles. But the blog is great because it lines up, it kind of puts everything in chronological order. It's all there for you to go back and take a look at. That's awesome. Well, Darren, this has been fun. I really, I love this format. It's been so much fun to really give me an opportunity to kind of hold the baton and pull out of you some uh, some good information. Um, but I guess this is where I hand the baton back to you as the uh, host. Um, you want to take us out? Yeah. And Dirk, I have to, uh, this has been a, a fantastic conversation. I love, and the re there's, there's a definite reason why I've asked you to do this. And that's because you know, you're a, a, a great thinker. You've been in business yourself. And uh, I love the things that you've added and including stuff that you've reminded me or brought out of, out of, out of my mind, uh, things that I wanted to share. So yeah, this has been really fun. It's been uh, hopefully productive and great for everybody. 
uh, in the in the listening audience. And Dirk, you definitely are going to be back again as we've talked about. Um, there's a, a more more content that we want to uh, we want to go through, and I think you're the perfect person to bounce stuff off of. So I look forward to having you on the show again in the future. So that's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much, as always, for listening. If you'd like the show, please be sure to share it with your friends and your colleagues. I look forward to being back with you again in two weeks. Until then, stay focused on your freedom.